Well, some of the uh, some of the men from the Tuesday night uh, or Tuesday night Tuesday morning, uh, you know, Bible study has given me permission to continue uh, with the uh, message that we were involved in this morning, and uh, I don't. Uh, we left something off. Did you notice? We left off verse seventeen. What does verse seventeen show us, or give us, or tell us? Huh? God made a way. God's rescue. Remember, Jonah's thrown overboard, and it says that he was saved by the fish. The fish came and took Jonah. Now, we might go into chapter 2 next week in Jonah's prayer, but whenever we look at this, there's two opportunities, or there's two rescues here. Jonah is rescued by the fish. It's interesting to me that the scripture tells us that God appointed the fish to come at a certain time. God knew that Jonah was going to be in the sea. He knew he was going to be there. And he had called the fish to be there at the appointed time. Now the other rescue, the other rescue was the sailors. Because the sailors, as they had this revelation and they understood the, you know, about the power of the one true God. Uh, you know, and we find that they repented. Although Jonah didn't repent. They repented. And they uh, you know, did a, you know, offered a sacrifice. And, said, and made a vow or an oath unto God. As far as how they were going to live their life. And then they throw Jonah overboard. And then the sea is calm. God alone is able. To rescue us. We can, there is no other God. That we call out to. That is able. Or capable. Or even willing. To rescue us. Right where we are. Right where we are. But the thing is. Is that he doesn't leave us. Right there where we are. He always takes us. And he begins to change. Begins to make us. Into something that is new. So. What is he trying to make us into? For us, he's trying to make us into his son, Jesus Christ, that we become Christ-like. Now, one of the things that we look at and that we have to see and that we really need to understand whenever we look at Jonah in James, James tells us that all of these things, the bad things that's happening to us, that God is not causing them to happen to us, but he is allowing them to happen to us. So if there's bad things going on in your life today, let's not be mistaken and let's not blame God for it. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's the people, the bad people that's in the world. But God is allowing them to happen so that we can see and so that we can become who he would want us to become. Now, I know that I was, I was kind of bad on us parents uh, you know, this morning. But the children have a bit of responsibility in this as well, as in being obedient. And, uh, you know, whenever I think about all of this and dealing with the idols and stuff that we create, uh, you know, we help our children to create these unless we're bringing them to church. Now, if we're bringing them to church, hopefully the people that's in the church and even us as parents are telling them that they have to rely upon God. You know, for all things. But there's a problem with it. Because 
we take our kids to Sunday school, and we take them to church, and we get in the car headed home, and what do we do? I can't believe the pastor said that. How, you know, how God, what, what does he mean to say something like that from the pulpit? Or we say, oh my goodness, did you see Sister Ethel over there? Can you believe she wore that? Do you believe that she thinks that her hair looked good today? Or, I'm being facetious here in some of this, but some of it's absolutely true. We just changed our Sunday school curriculum, our Sunday school classes, right? So we get into our cars and we're like, I cannot believe that I can't be with my wife in a Sunday school class. I have to be with a bunch of old grumpy men. You're the leader of it, right? But you see what we do. Oh, you know, we want our kids to come to church and we want our kids to know the God that we know, but we always talk bad about it. We talk bad about the people that's in the church, so our kids are like, oh man, I don't want to go there. I don't want to grow up and go to that Sunday school class of just a bunch of old men. I don't want to go to a place that it's not any fun. Billy Huddleston said it this way. He said, you're the parent. They're the children. You know best, so you put them where they're supposed to be. We're not their best friends anymore. Well, wait a minute. We shouldn't have ever been their best friends. We're their parents. We've experienced things that they have not experienced. So we need to make sure that, they, that they're there. But as a father of this next generation, there was issues. I'll give you this little story here. Y'all remember, how many of y'all remember the, the show, uh, you know, the movie uh, Footloose? I remember the movie Footloose. It was all about dancing and they weren't able to dance in this town because, uh, you know, it was a church town. So they weren't able to dance. But this one guy wanted to dance. And what was their reasoning for not allowing them to dance? Kid got drunk at, a, at the last dance and got into a wreck and died. Okay, so, so they, they stopped it. But did they tell the kids that? No. Our kids come to us and they ask us a question. Well, let's back up a little bit to the wonderful twos. Whenever they ask you why about everything. Why? Why, Dad? Why? Why, Dad? So what was your dad's response? Because I said so. Yeah. Because I said so. Or because I told you to do it. Or I told you not to do it. Really no explanation. This next generation that came up, they want an explanation. It's like the two-year-old. Just because is not a good enough answer. But we're afraid to actually answer it. Why are we afraid to answer it? Because we don't know the answer. Because we're doing it because our parents told us to do it. Instead of searching the scripture to find out why we don't do it. So if your child came to you and asked you about dancing, what would be your response? Would you allow your child to dance? You can dance, you can dance, but you can't go to the bar and dance. See, it, dancing's not the problem. It's where you have to go to dance. But we don't tell them that. They ask us about drinking and they ask us about alcohol. And what do we do? We bring out the scripture. Scripture tells us that you're not supposed to drink. And then they say, well, Jesus drank wine. Why can't I drink some? Huh, because I told you not to. But why? Because the scripture plainly states that we are not supposed to be underneath the influence of anything except for the Holy Spirit. Now, that takes care of alcohol, 
and it takes care of drugs. We should not be underneath the influence of anything except for the Holy Spirit. As soon as you take a sip of alcohol or as soon as you take a puff of the marijuana cigarette, you are underneath the influence of something other than the Holy Spirit. So that's why we do it. We need to talk with our children. You know, I talked to you a little bit about pornography and about, the, about being addicted to pornography. I don't know how many of y'all have thought about this or studied this or anything like that. But, uh, you know, a five-second view of pornography is like taking a hit of marijuana. It creates a chemical reaction within your brain that tells it that it is getting a drug that it needs. So the more that you do it, the more you need it. It's an addiction, just like drugs. If we're afraid of it and we don't talk to our kids about it, they're going to find it. How many of y'all have ever Googled the White House? Any of y'all ever Googled the White House? Please don't go Google it if you haven't. It's a website you don't want to go to because it's not about the White House in D.C. They will find it. We've got to talk about it. Where did this all come from? Well, I can tell you it came from your pastor's heart. Because after a message like this morning, we have to understand the joy about being here in the church. If we're going to grow God's kingdom, they need to understand the joy that happens here in this place. They need to understand why they come. If we just simply say, because I said so, it's not good enough. If we even say in the message that was this morning, even if we say because God has smashed all of the idols and we're supposed to call upon Him and only Him, that's not good enough. They need an explanation because whenever you can't get up in the morning, He's the joy that keeps you moving. Whenever you have struggles in your life and you don't think that you can go anymore, He's the hope that gets you through to tomorrow. See, those are the things that they've got to see. They've got to know. They've got to hear. <laughs> I've got to do it. You might be married to the ugliest woman in the entire universe. But whenever somebody talks to you about your wife, she is the most beautiful thing that God has ever created. Do you understand what I'm saying? The church could be horrible, but we've got to get people in. We've got to create the excitement. This is the best thing under heaven. It's like, an, it's like a drug, an addiction. I've got to have it. By the way, I don't think any of y'all were the ugliest women. And, and I know that Peggy is not. Y'all were all beautiful because y'all were made in God's image. Y'all were his creations. And he did not make anything ugly. I'm proof of it. <laughs> Whenever we, whenever we think about this, uh, you know, we, we have the answer to all the issues and to all the problems, but we can't think that we're better than everyone else. So if there's someone that's in our midst that comes to church on Sunday mornings, but they don't come on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, we have to make them feel loved every Sunday morning that they're here. 
And whenever they miss Sunday night and they miss Wednesday night, we need to let them know that we missed them. It's got to be a loving reaction. So Jesus gives us this example. If you can turn to Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 1, and 1 through 3. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about three things. There's three questions I want you to ask yourself. Am I judgmental? Am I exclusive? Am I approachable? So you have those three things. Am I judgmental? Am I exclusive? And am I approachable? Verse 1. Large crowds gathered or followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached down and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, do not tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest And let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. So, are you judgmental? Do we judge the people that do not come to church on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights? Do we judge them? Do we judge them in our hearts? Do we judge them in our words? Do we love them? Do we encourage them? Do we draw them in? Do we try to include them? Or do we exclude them? Do we make sure that they get all of the information that they would have missed on Sunday night or on Wednesday night? What about the drug addict? What about the alcoholic? What about the homeless? Do we judge them? Do we stand off at a distance and say, oh man... I've got the answer. See my nice clothes? Do we go down the road or do we go into the grocery stores and we see this family that's coming out and you've got the kids are really, uh, you know, making a ruckus, uh, you know, for the mom and she's struggling and she's trying her best to get them into the car and you notice that there's a case of beer that's sitting there and you're like, oh, if you wouldn't have spent the money on the beer, then your kids wouldn't have been hungry. What do we do? Jesus has a leper. That comes to him. How many of you know how far away a leopard is supposed to be from people in biblical days? A long ways away. 150 feet. If there is a clean person within 150 feet of them, they have to shout out, unclean, unclean leprosy. And then they give you the opportunity to either continue where you are or to leave because they're unclean. Man comes and kneels right before Jesus. And he says, you know, I don't know if he really said it that way. He said, I know that you can heal me if you're willing. Now, why would he put that in there? If you're willing. The way that he's been treated. I imagine there's been a few Pharisees or Sadducees, religious leaders that have shunned him. Do you realize that lepers in the biblical days had a colony that they lived in? If you had leprosy, Darla... You wouldn't be able to live with Gene. You would be praying this in the Lord. Woo, hallelujah. No, I'm, I'm kidding. If you were a child that had leprosy, 
you wouldn't be able to live with your mother or father. You would have to go to this colony. This colony was far away from anything else in a secluded place. Are we judgmental? I think we are less judgmental to non-Christians than we are to Christians. What? Uh, I don't know. I, you know, because we are harder on our own. We're harder on our brothers and sisters. You remember that, right? Don't fight my brother or sister. But if my brother or sister does anything to me, you better believe I'm going to. You know, my sister was the oldest and I was the youngest. So who do you think tried to protect her? Nope. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I started to go there, but then I was like, no, I have to be honest. It was my brother. Y'all remember, I was the antagonistic one. I, you know, I'm the one that antagonized everybody else. Uh, you know, uh, the family ran smooth until John got into the mix. Uh, you know, and, and then there was chaos. You know, but we do. Sometimes we do. We treat our brothers and sisters worse than we treat tra- strangers. We're judgmental because our brother in Christ is dealing with a problem that we've already conquered. Or wait a minute, let me rephrase that. That God has already conquered in our life. And we sit here and we're like, oh, I can't believe that they're still struggling with that. God, is your two by four not big enough today? Are we exclusive? In our manual, it states that if you are a member of the church of the Nazarene, you cannot be a member of an exclusive club. Is Christianity an exclusive club? Is Christianity... An exclusive club. It's not supposed to be, but it's only Christians that's in it. But it's not seclusive because we want outsiders to come in. We welcome them to come in. The exclusiveness of it is, is if we look down at someone because they're either going to another denomination or they're going to another church, and we're like, hmm, I can't believe that you go there. They believe da-da-da-da-da. I can't believe you go to Elevation Church. They've got all those bright lights and those fancy singers and stuff that's up there. Their preacher isn't even live. He's on video. I can't believe you go there. Oh, we're seclusive because our pastor stands in front of us and talks to us. He shakes our hands. But the exclusiveness that we're talking about here is, is that we have the tendency. We have the tendency to sit all by ourselves and say, I'm okay. What about you? We're not casting any judgment, but we sit here and we're like, I'm done. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I'm exclusive. Whenever the whole time there's people dying and going to hell, he wants us to do something about it. We are supposed to be his hands and his feet. If we're judgmental, I don't think we can be his hands and his feet because nobody, no one will listen to us. If we think we're part of an exclusive club, And we treat everyone else worse because they're not part of this club. I don't think we're going to get very many people in. I don't think that we can be his hands and his feet. He most probably doesn't want us to be if that's the way that we're going to act. Because Jesus showed us here, he says, even a leper, someone that is shunned at 150 feet, Jesus allows him to come right in front of him and kneel down. And not only that, he reaches down and he touches him. And he says, I'm willing to heal you. Get up and be healed. So you must be approachable, right? Nobody's poached you with a 10-foot pole lately, have they? You're approachable. There's a problem with that. Because some of us think that we're approachable and we're not. 
I was a youth pastor at Kings Mountain Church of the Nazarene. Peggy got so fed up with it because the parents came to her and told her the things that I was doing wrong. She's like, why don't you go talk to pastor? Oh, I can't talk to pastor. I thought I was approachable, but evidently my looks just kind of, thank you, Miss Jenny, for she got it. Sometimes we feel or we think that we're approachable, but yet we're not approachable. If someone has a problem, who are they going to come to? If someone in your family has a problem, who are they going to come to? Are they, are they going to come to you or are they going to go to somebody else? If they go to somebody else, it's most probably because you're not approachable. And you're not approachable because you're part of, the, of, of an exclusive club and you're judgmental. Because whenever they come to you with a problem, the first thing that you're going to do is you're going to tell them how to fix the problem. Oh, but pastor, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Oh, no. <laughs> supposed to love them. Supposed to welcome them in. Let's see what God says about this. Let's see how God wants us to do this. How successful we are as people and as being last will depend on how judgmental we are, how exclusive we are, and whether or not we're approachable or not. Because for us to be last, we're supposed to love one another as Christ has loved us. If we're judging people, trust me, you're not loving people. If you're excluding them from anything that you do, you're not loving them. If you're not approachable and willing to listen and to hear, you're not loving them. You might have the right things to say, but saying them with the wrong heart and the wrong attitude is not going to get it done. They're not going to hear it. It will roll off their back faster than water off of a duck's back. So... We dovetail this together, this morning's message and tonight, because I stand by the words that was said this morning, but the ones that are not standing by those words, we can't judge them, we can't exclude them, and we have to be able to be approachable by them. They have to be able to come to us. If they can't do it, then we've missed it. We've missed what God has truly for us. Be last. Be last in everything. Not just the last one to the table, uh, you know, at our potluck dinners. Be last in everything. Billy Holliston told us something, uh, you know, Saturday morning in reference to this. Jesus trying to teach his disciples to be last. I talked with David and Violet and with Wanda about this at this, this morning. It, it spoke volumes to me. The story about Jesus teaching his disciples on how to be last is found in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. And you'll find that Jesus and his disciples was walking, and whenever they finally got to where they were going, Jesus turned and he asked them, what, were your, what was your conversation? What were you talking about? Well, the disciples didn't answer because they knew the conversation that they were having was an inappropriate conversation. The inappropriate conversation that they were having was, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? So they didn't answer, so Jesus kind of lets us know a little bit more about him, and he says, I know what you were saying in your hearts, and this is how you're supposed to live. And I want you to see, because in Matthew, Jesus goes outside and he calls a little child to him, and brings a little child in front of him, and has him there uh, you know, with him in the midst of the disciples. Now for us, 
in our society today, Billy Huddleston says that we have everything, we have it wrong because we worship our children and our grandchildren. In the biblical days, children were lower than low. They were nobodies. They didn't get a name until after they were eight years of age, or not eight years, but eight days of age. But the parents did not cling to them until they were old enough to actually begin to provide for the family. Now, why was that? It's not because they were mean people. It's because of the death rate for infants was very high. So the parents didn't want to connect to something that they thought they would lose because it would hurt their hearts too much. So they kept them at the side. So Jesus calls the little child. Jesus calls each and every one of us. He says, come to me. Regardless of where we are, we're his children. He says, come to me. And we find that it's interesting in Mark. Mark says the same thing, that Jesus called the child to him. But then Jesus sets the child on his lap and embraces the child. In Luke, Jesus gets the child. And he doesn't parade the child and set him out in front and say, here's this child. And he doesn't put him behind him to say that this child is less than I am. He sets the child right next to him in a place of importance. The scripture says that he places him at his right hand side. Where's Jesus at right now? At the right hand side of his father. He says you need to be as this child. A nobody that has been brought into the kingdom of God. That has a savior that loves him enough that he'll call him from the outside. Sit him down in his lap and give him a hug. This is a nobody. He says, I love you so much that I'm going to place you right here in my lap. And I'm going to hug you because we're the child. That in Luke, he calls over to him and sits him right down at his side. A place of importance. Jesus says, you matter to me. I don't care what this world says. You matter to me. Until we realize how much Jesus truly loves us, we will not be able to be last. Do you understand that? Until we truly understand Jesus' love for us, we're the nobodies. We're the people out there in the world that don't have a name. We don't have a purpose. We're nothing. But He loves us enough to call us in from out of that world to be right there with Him so that He can hug us, so that He can place us in a place of importance so he can give us his name a child of God whenever we truly understand that we won't be judgmental we will not be exclusive because we want everyone else to feel what we feel we feel his loving arms wrap around us and we just bask in that warmth and that gentleness and we say man you've got to experience this and if we do that They'll approach us and they'll say, man, how do I get what you've got? How do I get that? If somebody ever comes to you and asks you that, they're not really asking, looking for an answer. They want you to show them. They want you to take them by the hand. Say, this is what he's done for me. Wayne says it every night or every time at the prison ministry. Talks about God touching him after seven and a half weeks in a coma. God touched him. But you know what? God touches Wayne every morning he gets up and takes a breath. Grady, the heart surgeries, God touches you every morning. 
He touches you every time that you're out there with those animals. That's what they need. They need the God that's touching us every single day. Darren, I know you're going through a lot. But God loves you. And God is touching you right now. He says, you're a child of mine. And I know everything that you're going through. For all of us, every single day, that's what he does. He says, you're not a part of this world. You're my child. Do you need a hug today? Come sit right here in my lap. And I'll hold you as long as you need me to. He says, do you need to feel like you're important? Here, right here at my right side. Sit right here. This is your place. That's how much he loves us. And that's what we're supposed to be giving to everybody else. Giving to everybody else. I want Robbie to play softly. Back last year, y'all might remember I did a series. And I brought those chairs out of my office and set them up on the, on the platform. And you remember that's... I found out that that's when they were, that they're recliners. Whenever I have a hard day, I come in and I sit in one of those chairs. And I recline back. And I say, God, I need you today. I told Watt this. I can feel his hug as he holds me there. The problem is, is sometimes I don't want to get up. I know I've got work to do and I just want to sit in his embrace. Tonight... As we close this series on being last, we've got to truly experience His love. I want you to close your eyes. If you need to, lean your head back a little bit. Poke your feet out. And say, God, I need a hug today. And allow God to wrap his arms around you. He's already called you out of this world. You're welcome right here in his lap. Allow him to hold you. Feel his love tonight. Feel his love. 